This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. This sermon is from our series on the Gospel of Mark called Jesus in Action. My text begins at verse 34, but we're going to back up a little bit to our passage from a couple weeks ago because we really need some context for this. And Tristan talked about Jesus setting the bar high, and nowhere does he set the bar as high as he does in this passage in Mark. So so Peter has just confessed, Jesus, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, this amazing revelation that he has experienced from God. And then in verse 31... Jesus began to teach them, the twelve, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. This was a bombshell to the disciples. And so Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So Jesus begins to reveal he has been called to suffer and to die. He's not here just to do amazing miracles and healings and exorcism. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. And then in verse 34, we come to our text for this afternoon. Then Jesus called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Shall we bow our heads and pray? Father God, this is your word that you have given us through your son. And this is not a light and an easy word. And we are so tempted in reading these hard passages to adjust and trim them and make them more comfortable to ourselves. Help us to be faithful, me to be faithful in preaching, and all of us to be faithful in listening, receiving, obeying, and following today. And for that, Lord, we need your spirit. So pour him out generously on your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Peter has confessed that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised one from God who is going to save Israel and the world. And it's a triumphant declaration. Peter has seen all the amazing things Jesus has done, and he recognizes that God is working in Jesus in a special way. And there's no time for Peter to bask in his theological discovery. 
No time for him to enjoy the fact that he has made this remarkable discovery and this bold confession of Jesus. Because to Peter's horror and to the disciples' horror, Jesus starts to tell them very plainly, he is going to suffer. He's going to suffer many things and he is going to die. And this is not at all the kind of savior, the Messiah, that the disciples were hoping for. And they are appalled, they are frightened, and Peter even takes Jesus aside to try to shake him out of this crazy, reckless uh, death wish that Jesus seems to have. And what Peter surely has realized, and what becomes clear to him and all the disciples is this, that Jesus is not going to suffer and die alone. They have been called to be his disciples, his students, his apprentices. And they begin to realize that if Jesus is going to suffer and die, that they are going to be implicated in this as well. They are going to be involved in a life of suffering and death. Jesus is calling the disciples to follow where he leads. And is there not a lesson for us here right at the beginning of our passage that confession must be followed by discipleship, by commitment? Because although commitment without confession is hopeless, confession, theological confession without commitment is meaningless and it is worthless. God does not want us just to utter words and come up with systems and ideas and nice statements of faith and phrases. He's calling us to commit our very selves and walk in the path of suffering and death behind him. And the only way that we will know and we will prove that our faith is genuine is if we are actually willing to risk something for it. We do not prove our faith by denouncing those who disagree with us, going online and and firing off angry comments. We prove our faith by being the kind of people who are willing to lay everything down on the line for this person, Jesus Christ. It is no true confession of Jesus as the Messiah if we are not willing to follow him. We must confess him not just as the Messiah, but as our Messiah, our Christ that we are going to follow. That is what true faith is. So Jesus gives Peter and the disciples no time to bask in their new discovery. He immediately tells them they must come and follow him on his hard road. And it is an open invitation. You notice that here Jesus calls the crowd to him as well as the disciples. And he says, If anyone, whoever wants to be my disciple, anyone is free to sign up and follow Jesus. The way is open to absolutely everyone. Does not matter what language you speak, what country you come from, what terrible things you have done. The way of discipleship is something that Jesus is inviting you to to step into. And we are free to decide whether or not we are going to become disciples. But we are not free to decide what discipleship involves. 
Because Jesus says, whoever wants to be my, my disciple must, must. There are no different grades of difficulty here. No easy bronze level that we can start in on with a kind of following Jesus or believing him that involves no sacrifice or small sacrifice. This comes at the very beginning of discipleship is the call to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. That is not the advanced level after 40 years of following Christ. That comes at the very beginning of the journey. And we have to say that Jesus is a terrible salesperson, isn't he? If we want to sell something to someone, we tell them about all the amazing benefits and how this is going to, this product is going to enrich your life and free you from every difficulty. And there's going to be gentle background music playing as you enjoy whatever you have purchased from me. Jesus is not selling something. He is brutally honest with us. It's not a bait and switch where he gets us in the door and then, oh, then you find out that things are terrible and hard and difficult. Jesus is totally blunt and honest with people right at the beginning. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, pick up their cross, and follow me. It is the only way. You cannot be a Christian without being a disciple who is willing to be this kind of person. These conditions are fixed and they are uncompromising. And it begins with denying ourselves. Self-denial. This is not about denying something to ourselves. Oh, I'm not going to eat chocolate this month. Or I'm going to get up at 6 o'clock every morning. This is not about denying something. It's about denying someone. And that person is me. Jesus' first command is that you must say no to yourself. If you want to say yes to Jesus, you must also say no to yourself. Christ is not calling us to live a life of self-absorption, self-fulfillment, self-will, self-indulgence, self-reliance, self-assertion, self-seeking, self-regard, self-pity, self-righteousness, or self-sufficiency, which are all about self-worship. And of course, you can pursue a selfish life in a very gross and obvious way with cocaine and prostitutes. But we can also live a selfish life in, in very subtle and refined ways, can't we? In very religious ways, where our self-worship is all about how others perceive us as a very righteous and holy person, doing all the right things. That, too, is a life of self that Jesus forbids us from following. There was an article on the BBC last week about the Church of Satan. The room got really quiet all of a sudden. The Church of Satan. And they are suing the makers of this Sabrina, the Teenage Witch movie, because they are um, the movie's borrowing some image of Satan that they use in their temple. At the end of the article, it made the, the uh, director, the bishop or whatever of the Church of Satan made clear, we don't literally worship this beast with, with you know, a red tail and cloven feet. Satanism, he says, is all about rejecting arbitrary authority. It's all about saying, no one is going to tell me what to do. 
And you realize, after reading that article, that the spirit of Satan is something that affects all of us. We all detest the idea of some busybody shoving his nose into our business and telling and ordering, directing us how to live our lives. But if we want to follow Jesus, we bow to him as our Lord. And we say, I no longer have the right of self-mastery. Jesus has those keys. And isn't that selfish, satanic spirit, what all sin is about? Going back to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, where the serpent said to Eve, if you eat from this fruit, you will be like God yourself. And that's that spirit of self that we all crave in our own different ways. St. Augustine describes sin as everything curving in upon the self. Everything gets directed back to me and how it affects me and how it serves me and my goals and my ambition. And what a sad way to live your life. There is no tinier prison than the prison of your own ego. I is a very small word and they're very cramped quarters to spend your life and to spend eternity in. And Jesus wants to free us from slavery to ourselves. Deny yourself. Renounce yourself. Say no to yourself. No compromise. No negotiation. No half measures. This is a stern battle that Jesus calls us to and a battle against ourselves that will go on until the day we die. Man, this is exciting stuff, isn't it? This is joyful, liberating stuff, isn't it? It's tough. And these are stern words of Jesus. And denying ourselves means that we must take up our cross and follow Jesus. And this is not a flowery, elegant analogy. If you saw someone carrying the cross beam on their shoulders in the ancient world, you knew that they were on their way to their execution. The cross was the Roman instrument of state terror. The cross was so horrifying and so excruciating. In fact, we get that word from crucifixion, excruciating crucifixion. And it was, moreover, so shameful and so degrading that it would bring terror into people's hearts as they thought about the consequences of their actions. And in the Roman Empire, they used the cross only on slaves, on hardened criminals, and on rebels against the state. It was reserved for the worst of the worst. It was a mercy to be beheaded instead. You would not want to be crucified. And in fact, crucifixion was something so shameful, the word was not used in ordinary company. If your kid said the word cross, you would wash his mouth out with soap. And in the Roman world, to say, go to the cross, was an insult that meant basically, go to hell. That is the worst insult you could give someone. Go to the cross. And so when Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, he is saying, be prepared to be ridiculed, spat on, and treated as an enemy of the people because you identify with me. Because you bear the name of Jesus, you are going to follow me 
in my own shame, humiliation, and degradation before the world. And for the disciples, this was no figure of speech. They all, over time, laid down their lives because they were following Jesus. As many Christians around the world, as we heard a week or two ago, are laying down their lives to follow Jesus. It's no analogy for them. It's no figure of speech. Now, we might have a different calling as disciples, but we are called to share this same character, to be the kind of people who have already died to the world, who no longer care for what the world says is awesome or shameful. We are so committed to Jesus that we are willing to go to the very end and to the very depths for him. Alexander McLaren says, taking up my cross does not merely mean meekly accepting God-sent or men-afflicted sorrows. This is not about the ordinary trials of life. This is what it means. Persistently carrying on the special form of self-denial, which my special type of character requires. Carrying on day by day by day, the special form of self-denial that my own unique character requires. And the self-denial that Jesus is calling me to is different than what he's calling you to. You have some stuff in your life that I don't struggle with. I have things that you don't struggle with. Each of us is called to know himself or herself where self intrudes the most and to take that thing, kicking and screaming and screeching, and put it to death, to nail it to the cross. This is the severe cost of discipleship because the way of discipleship is about following Jesus and Jesus is headed to the cross. He's headed to a way of suffering and the servant is not above his master. If Jesus had to go through suffering and shame and death, you and I are certainly not going to escape following where he led. There is no easy option, no comfortable option in the Christian life. This is what discipleship is about. Or we're not being faithful to Jesus. So here is this severe call to discipleship. This brutal announcement that Jesus makes to his stunned disciples. There's been nothing about discipleship really in Mark until this moment when Jesus just lays the hammer down on these 12 men. This is the stern and horrible call to discipleship. Why on earth would we do this? Why on earth would we follow Jesus if this is what it involves? Let me advance from what Jesus says here. Three reasons you would want to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. The first one is this. The first reason to be a disciple is to save your life. Reason number one, you want to save your life. This is the strange paradox that Jesus brings forth in verse 35. Whoever tries to save their life, to hold on to it, to clutch it close to their chest and not let go, that is the surest way to destroy your life, to squeeze it so hard that you choke the life out of it. Because when you keep yourself from Jesus, when you keep yourself from God, you are keeping yourself from the very source 
and goal and joy of life itself. God is the light of life. And if we try to hoard our little light, our little life, it's going to flicker and die because there is nothing to sustain it. If you try to save your life, you are going to lose it because there is another self hyphen and that is self-destructive, isn't it? Don't we see people around us making terrible choices, short-term, self-indulgent thinking, and we look at them and we know that is just destroying your life. You are addicted to meth and you are becoming a shell of a human being. And sin is the crystal meth of the soul that is highly addictive, destructive, and poisonous. It is white death itself, and it is going to kill us. And Jesus wants to take that out of our hands so we don't destroy ourselves. So whoever wants to save their life is going to lose it. You are going to lose it. It might be going very well for you now, but you are going to lose it. But the other side of the paradox, thank God, is that if we are willing to lose our lives for Jesus and for the sake of his gospel, we will save it. The paradox is that the very safest thing you can do is to release your death grip from your own life, to pry your own white fingers off of your life, off of your very self, and release your life to Jesus, to entrust your life to him. We're talking about faith here, aren't we? To be willing to actually entrust our life, our soul, our very self to Jesus and let him be the one who takes care of it. There's an odd little text in Revelation chapter 3. You know when Jesus talks to the churches and he says to the one who overcomes or is victorious, I will give this reward? To the one who is victorious, I will give a white stone with a new name written on it that no one knows except the one who receives it. A little white stone that Jesus is going to hand to you on the day of victory, and it's got a name written on it, a secret name, your new identity in Christ. Not the old self, the false self, the destructive God, forsaken self, but the new true self created in Christ Jesus. He is going to give that to you. That is the paradox. And selfishness, Jesus says, is so foolish. It is so foolish. What is the point of gaining the whole world, of stocking up a humongous bank account, of achieving the very highest levels of success in your field, of gaining supreme power over other people, if that's what you crave, what is the point of that if it costs you your soul, if the price of that is your very self? It's a terrible deal. And notice that Jesus is appealing to healthy self-interest, healthy self-love. It's not about self-hatred and wanting to commit spiritual suicide. He is appealing to yourself because the self is valuable, especially the self that's inside you. That should be really valuable to you because once you lose that, you lose everything. And what can anyone give in exchange for their soul, for their self? Imagine if I offered you money from here to amputate different parts of your body. How much would you sell your smallest little toe for, or your appendix, or your ear? And you might, for very large amounts of money, be willing to part with some of your limbs. 
But there is nothing I could possibly offer you that would make you willing to give up your very life. That deal cannot be made. There is nothing anyone can give in exchange for someone's very self. The one thing you cannot afford to lose. And so by following Jesus, by saying no to ourselves now, we are in fact saying a great yes to our true self that God wants us to have. So that's reason number one, to be a disciple, to save our lives. Reason number two is to prove our loyalty to Jesus. Notice all the times in here that Jesus talks about himself. Whoever wants to be my disciple must follow me. Discipleship is not a code. It's not an ideal. It's not a system. It's not a philosophy. It is about a person. It's about Jesus Christ himself and our loyalty and love for him. And what is the reason we would follow someone? Because we love to be close to that person. And if you want to be close to Jesus, you must follow him. It's the only way to be close to him, to enjoy fellowship with him in his sufferings. And whoever loses their life, Jesus says, for me, not just tossing your life away for nothing, but losing it for me, for Jesus, that is how you save it. And so the suffering of discipleship, the suffering of saying no to ourselves and our desires, that suffering is an offering of love to Jesus. It is a noble sacrifice of worship that we are invited to offer to him. And as David said in the Old Testament, King David, I will not offer to the Lord what cost me nothing. Someone else had offered to pay for David's sacrifice, and he refused. No, I'm going to pay for it. And we must not offer to Jesus what costs us nothing. Not the empty offerings of our lips, but our hearts and our very selves must be offered to Jesus. And now is the time when we have the opportunity to express true loyalty to him. Here is what true worship is about. Philippians chapter 3. Flip through there with me if you have your Bible. Paul talking about his great love for Christ and his confidence in him. He says in Philippians 3 verse 7, But whatever were gains to me, Paul had gains, he had things in his bank account, as it were, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. All that stuff that was so important to me before, garbage in comparison with knowing Jesus Christ. And Paul wanted to know Christ and gain Christ and have a righteousness and a life in Christ. That was what he was all about. And here is the grace in our passage that Jesus is prepared to lay his own life down for his disciples and for us. Jesus never asks you to do something for him that he has not already done for you. He leads from the front. And the path we follow already has his footsteps in it. Last week was the 100th anniversary of the end of the First World War. And the British Army was famously described as an army of lions led by donkeys. Their generals were so foolish and incompetent, 
The men in the trenches were brave. They had terrible leaders. And these were generals that were far back from the front line, sipping wine in their French chateau, while the soldiers were in the trenches being gassed and shot at and dying in the muck. Jesus' army is an army of donkeys led by a lion. Jesus does not lead way back in a French chateau. He is far in front of us, holding the flag, going over the trenches, going into death itself. And he only calls us to follow where he has boldly gone himself. See, Jesus inspires loyalty and inspires this kind of sacrificial discipleship because he loved me and he gave himself for me. He gave himself for me and I'm no longer my own. I'm not my own anymore. This self has been bought with a price the price of Jesus Christ's own precious blood. And therefore, I belong to him. I am his slave, his servant, his child, his son, and he is my Lord, and he has the right to command. And where he commands, I will follow, because I love him, I trust him, and I will obey him. And this loyalty to Christ involves following him to the place of shame and degradation. Jesus says in verse 38, that whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. If we are ashamed of Jesus, if the moment for testimony and confession comes and we shrink back from acknowledging that he is our Savior and our Lord, he will be ashamed of us. And what a terrible thing it would be to stand before King Jesus on the day of judgment and say, Lord, Lord, and for him to look at us and shake his head and say, I never knew you. We do not want Jesus to hesitate to own us as his servants and his disciples. My, my dad was an elder in a church way back in the 1980s, and he had a student he was about 18 years old, and he was going up tree planting in Canada's north. And so this is a common thing for Canadian students to do in the summer to make money. You go up into the barren wilderness of northern Canada. you got a bag of um, little saplings or something with you, and you plant them in the ground, and you try to plant hundreds of them every day and make as much cash as you can over the summer. And this student had grown up in the church. He did not have much experience with the world, and he was very scared of being around non-Christians, you know, dirty, intimidating people. And my father met with him before he left and prayed with him and encouraged him and, and tried to help him. And when this guy, the student, returned, my dad saw him at church and said, hey, how did your summer go? I was praying for you. And the guy was like, oh, man, thank you so much for praying you. It, w- it was really good. God answered your prayers. No one found out I was a Christian. <laughs> this is not what discipleship is about. And if our lives are lived like that, we are going to find Jesus refusing to acknowledge us. But the flip side implied here and explicit in Matthew and Luke is this, that whoever acknowledges me before men now, I will acknowledge before my Father and his holy angels. And what a great thing for Jesus to publicly acknowledge us, for us to appear before him and to see the light of recognition in his eyes, and for him to stand up and to point at you and to say, well done, good and faithful servants, enter into the joy of your master. That is what we long for. 
Because when loyalty matters is now. In these, in these difficult and dangerous times, now is when loyalty costs something. And those who are loyal to Jesus now are going to be rewarded, will be handsomely rewarded on Jesus' coronation day. Now, brothers and sisters, is the time for the men and women of God to do mighty exploits for their King David. That's the second reason, to be a disciple, because we want to show our loyalty to Jesus. And the final reason is this. We want to be a disciple because we want to see the kingdom's power. I included 9 verse 1 here, where Jesus says, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Jesus is not referring to a second coming, obviously, because all the disciples and all the crowd present have long since died and been buried. What comes right after this in Mark, as well as the accounts in Luke and Matthew, is the transfiguration of Jesus, where Jesus ascends the mountain and he's clothed in dazzling white. There is a first taste of the kingdom of God coming with power. And then these disciples were privileged to see Jesus risen from the tomb, vindicated and victorious. They had the awesome sight of Jesus ascending into the clouds beyond their vision. And they were at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. In the midst of the difficulty of discipleship and the sacrifice of discipleship, the disciples got to experience the powerful reign of God breaking into the world. It's not all death and denial and crucifixion. There is glory and there is power. And imagine what it was like for these 12, for these 11, minus Judas, for these men to live through the heady days of the book of Acts. Yes, they were persecuted, and they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to bear shame for the name of Christ. But to have the experience of seeing the nations bowing their knees to Jesus, to see people being healed, to see faith rising in their hearts, to see God tremendously at work in the world, even through their sufferings, Imagine what that life must have been like. And guess what? The kingdom of God did not end with the book of Acts. And in the difficulty of discipleship, we too have the thrill of seeing and experiencing God at work. Jesus is risen, and Jesus is ascended, and Jesus has poured out his spirit. He's not left us alone, dragging our cross alone. He is present here in this place with us. And brothers and sisters, the thrill of seeing the mighty arm of God being revealed, to see the Red Sea opened in front of us, as it were, that is worth any sacrifice. Far more thrilling, far more exciting, and far more satisfying to our souls than the tiny little pleasures that our tiny little selves demand. Look, Jesus knows this is hard. The way of the cross was not easy for Jesus. And he agonized in prayer in Gethsemane. So he come to the point of saying, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knows this is a difficult call for all of us. If you're hearing these words and you feel overwhelmed, 
you should be feeling overwhelmed. If you think this is easy and no problem at all, man, you've got another thing coming. Of course this is difficult. And of course we can't do this on our own. But Jesus, as our master, has promised to teach us. And he's given his Holy Spirit to help us become these kind of men and women and children who are faithful to the very end. Now, we're going to take a few moments to confess our sins in these regard in these in this regard together because we all feel our sense of failure perhaps at what we're hearing from the lord here so we're gonna have some words up on the screen and i invite you to pray this out loud with me and then we'll have a time of reflection where we can ask the lord what is the particular way of self-denial that you are calling me to okay This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for listening.